this week we start a three-week series and we're going to skip over the three-week series just for next week because we've got our 20th anniversary celebrations happening next week and we're really looking forward to that. And um, over the next three weeks in this series or the next three um, in the series, we're looking at messianic expectations in the Old Testament, in the New Testament and for us today. And we will be welcoming back Drew Nichols, who will look at Messianic expectations in the New Testament. And then Chris Turner from Stirling College will uh, look at Messianic expectations for us today. If you've looked at the English media recently, besides the botching of Brexit, there has been a running commentary about Prince Harry and Meghan and the comparisons between the royal couples um, and, Prince, and uh, Prince William and Kate as well. And for me, as on a, a bit of an aside, my own personal claim to fame with Prince William is that I had a federal member decline an invitation, snubbed Prince William to uh, meet him um, to attend my induction when I was pastoring in another church, something that I certainly did not expect. I'm not saying at all that I'm more important than Prince William. It was more so that this guy was a, um, believed in the Republic and wasn't going to go along to see the Prince anyway. Um, the expectations that Harry and Meghan um, have to behave in a certain way, to say certain things, to do certain things, can be a real burden for them to carry. Sometimes our understanding of someone's role can create unrealistic expectations that can either burden someone else or it can also have us feeling disappointed or even downright angry when they don't measure up to our expectations. And there's a little bit more about that in the circle in this month's issue. Have you ever considered and paused to consider your expectations on the Messiah? Well, before we get too far ahead of ourselves in this, it's best that we pause for a moment and consider the term Messiah and, and its most basic form and what it means. Now, the word Messiah is a Hebrew word that means to anoint or to smear with oil. When the word Messiah was translated from Hebrew to Greek, they came up with the word Christos. Now, when you think of the word Christos, what word, name or person comes to mind for you? Christ? Yeah, Jesus. Yep, that's right. And it's easy for us to think that Christ was Jesus' last name, but it's not. It was a Greek title that was given to his role. The Hebrew people used the word Messiah for a few thousand years and with it came the expectation and expectation and various understandings of what it meant to be anointed, smeared with oil, to be messiahed as it were. Often in life there are markers of note that take place in a person's life, in their situation or in their status. Coming of age, a graduation, schoolies, finishing a doctorate, those sorts of things, whatever it might be, weddings, retirement, various rites of passage, they all help to mark something happening in someone's life. In ancient traditions, 
the sacred act of anointing provided a marker to set someone apart for a special office. Now, a graphic example of this is in the anointing that took place in Psalm 133, verses 1 and 2. And we've got those words on the screen, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live in ha- together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil, the Messiah oil, the oil that sets someone apart that was poured over Aaron's head and ran down his beard, obviously he must have been a hipster, um, ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. This anointing or smearing oil was a public recognition that there was something special going on in this person's life, that this person was being anointed, was being set apart by Yahweh God for the special function, a role, or an office that they were taking up. Now today, some churches do that as well, by commissioning or through an ordination service. In the Old Testament, the role of the Messiah, the set-apart one, um, hovered over different roles or different functions or different titles in the life of the, the Hebrew people. Depending on what was the part or the role that they played, or also what was in, in flavour, the, the flavour of the month or the flavour of that era at that time. The focus varied depending on what was needed in the minds of God and His people. If the focus was on an earthly king, then the Messiah was often spoken about using kingly terms, or as a prophet, a servant, a priest, or the role of Emmanuel. For us today personally, or as a church, we are not immune to the fact that we can focus on different um, areas of the Messiah's role based on our own human perspective. I'll get that phone call later. Um, Sometimes they can be healthy perspectives, and other times they can have unhealthy biases as we forget about some of the messianic qualities that we um, we can see in the Messiah just as had happened in the times of the Old Testament. Now, there are five general roles that the Messiah has associated with um, that role or with that um, title in the Old Testament. And we're going to briefly explore each of these five different um, roles, roughly in the order of when they're emphasized in the Old Testament. So, the first one of these is the prophetic role of the Messiah which was seen in the early stages of God's people. In the formation of the nation of Israel, Moses speaks to God's people in the role of a prophetic leader of the nation. And in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 19, we read about the first instance where the the conversation goes towards a a Messiah, a set-apart one, who will fulfill a prophetic function in the nation of Israel. Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what you yourselves requested of the Lord your God when you assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, Don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see this blazing fire, for we will die. Then the Lord said to me, 
what they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I command him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the message the prophet proclaims on my behalf. Well, it could be said that this was talking about God raising up prophets such as Jeremiah, Isaiah, Elijah and other prophets that we read about in the, in the Old Testament. There is something special, something that stood out, that set this particular prophet apart from the people of Israel and all other prophets. Something that stood out concerning this particular prophet. The Messiah as prophet would rise from God's people. The Messiah would be set apart, anointed, and would speak on behalf of Yahweh God. In the broadest sense, the role of the prophet was to communicate the message of God to the people of God. It could be speaking about things of the present day, matters of forth telling, applying what God is saying to a particular situation, an immediate matter or an immediate issue that was affecting people right here, right now, giving voice to God's heart on what was taking place right now, but also foretelling, speaking on behalf of God on matters that were yet to take place, on things that were happening beyond the horizon that had not yet come into view, things that were not yet taking place in history. The Messiah as prophet does not just speak on his own behalf, but speaks on behalf of Yahweh God, communicates what Yahweh God says, with the authority that the message comes from God. And God will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the message the prophet proclaims on God's behalf. So the message as prophet speaks God's word, speaks God's message for now and into the future with the authority of God. What is God telling people to do? They are to listen to the Messiah and His message and willingly respond by accepting the message into their life. So we have the Messiah as prophet, but we also have the Messiah as king. And it's probably better, or it's a more um, common understood role that the Messiah would take as Messiah as King. Isaiah 11 gives an overlap of the prophetic and kingship roles of the Messiah in statements that we read in Isaiah chapter 11 verses 2 to 4, where we read these words, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by mere, by appearance, nor make decisions based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. While the king was considered to be set apart to rule according to God's plans for his people, the role of the Messiah as king gains greater momentum 
The passage that John read earlier for us, it was especially significant. David um, succeeded Saul as king of Israel and David had planned to build a temple to God um, and Nathan the prophet brought this message from God to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 11b to 13. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. For the first time, a royal line in the house of David is spoken about. And it would be the bloodline of Israel's king that the Messiah would come from. The psalm celebrates again and again the roles of the Messiah as king. In Psalm 132, we read the following verses um, in verse 10 and 11 and then skipping down to verse 17. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject the king you have anointed. The Lord swore an oath to David with a promise he will never take back. I will place one of your descendants on your throne. And then skipping down to verse 17. Here I will increase the power of David. My anointed one will be a light for my people. A few centuries later, Isaiah spoke of this messianic kingship in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. For unto us is a child is born to us, a, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity and the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. The Messiah as king is one who acts with divine authority. He makes judgment, dispenses justice, making fair decisions. It's an image of strength, defending his people and providing protection for those who come under his reign. In the 1999 referendum, 55% of Australians voted against becoming a republic, despite a news poll that same year that indicated that 51% were in favour of it. The most recent news poll in November of 2018 found that only 40% wanted to become a republic, with 48% wanting to stick with the monarchy. However, there is a danger that we see the Messiah as king with the same level of irrelevance that at times we can see the Queen of England as our Queen. What does it mean for the Messiah to be your king? With the failings of the monarchy in Israel and during the period of the exile, the emphasis of the role of priest began to rise to a higher level of prominence and with it came 
a higher level of prominence and reference to the Messiah as taking on the role of a priest. In Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 21, we discover a significant hint of this priestly role. In the past, the king would offer sacrifices and approach Yahweh God through the priest. He could not do this directly. But here it indicates that God invites this messianic figure to approach God directly. Jeremiah 30 verse 21 says this, They will have their own ruler again, speaking of the people of Israel, and he will come from their own people. I will invite him to approach me, says the Lord, for who would dare to come unless invited? Then in Psalm 110, what is alluded to elsewhere and in Jeremiah 30 becomes an apparent reference to the role of Messiah, not only as a priest, but also as a king. Psalm 110 verses 1 and 4 says this, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honour at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. You are arrayed in holy garments and your strength will be renewed each day like morning dew. The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You, the Messiah, this kingly figure, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And later, Zechariah echoes this in 6, 12 to 13. Tell him, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Here is the man called Branch, referring back to David. He will branch out from where he is and build the temple of the Lord. He will build the temple of the Lord, uh, temple of the Lord. Then he will receive royal honor and will rule as king from his throne. He will also serve as priest from his throne. And there will be perfect harmony between these two roles. Now, the Messiah as priest has the responsibility of representing God to his people in a similar way to what the prophet does. But the Messiah as priest also intercedes on behalf of the people to God. While the prophet would say to people, hey, listen, you need to deal with issues around sin and you need to come back to God. The priest would offer sacrifices necessary for the temporary addressing of issues of sin that stood between God, uh, stood between people and God. The role of Messiah as priest is probably one that we are more familiar with today. Yet for the people of Israel, this would have been a radical thought and one that would have made the lines of priests quite nervous because they would have seen their role, their influence, and also their income being incorporated into the role of the Messiah. What would be left for them? It may be something to remember as Drew comes in a couple of weeks' time to share with us about the Messianic expectation in the New Testament and some of the challenges that this brought up. We should not be surprised that the priests um, who see that they have something to lose may resist 
this role of the Messiah. I wonder how often we feel the same way. Do we resist the role of the Messiah in our life if we fear we may lose something as a result? And let's quickly look at the final two for today. That's the Messiah as servant and also as Emmanuel. These concepts of the Messiah as servant of Yahweh God and as Emmanuel rest heavily on the writings of Isaiah. Three passages that I just want to quickly alert us to today about these messianic themes. Two regarding the messianic servant role and these were difficult for the nation of Israel to deal with together. And then Messiah um, as compared to Messiah as king, Messiah as priest, Messiah as prophet, wasn't as, as hard to handle. Now, this is one that we're familiar with, most likely, and also one that we find quite palatable. Isaiah 42 was a positive servant role for the Messiah, as it spoke about words in Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4, words like this. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not uh, crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. It's an image that we find quite appealing, isn't it? This this idea of a Messiah being someone that is tender, caring, has strength, has, has the ability of this presence that he brings with himself. But then the Hebrew people are confronted with a passage like this in Isaiah. Another concept of the Messiah as servant. In Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 6. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence, like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought he was, uh, his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Can you imagine how difficult that must have been for the nation of Israel, for these Hebrew people, to see on the one hand this this servant of stature, this servant of strength. And then on the other hand, this servant, this messianic servant being beaten down, bearing the weight of the sins of the world. But of this same Messiah, 
who takes on the role of prophet, of king, of priest and of servant, the people of Israel would look forward to experiencing the ultimate reality of God's presence. Emmanuel, God with us. As we read in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. For the people of Israel, their understanding of the Messiah would change over time. And some of the messianic roles, the roles of the Messiah, they would focus on more and at other times they would focus on one at the cost of another. And for us today, as I said at the start of our time in God's Word, we can focus on some aspects of the role of the Messiah and expect certain things to happen for him to fulfill a certain function at the cost of other roles of the Messiah. And I wonder whether we still do that today. So how might we respond to these different roles of the Messiah? As we pause to respond, there's a few things I want us to reflect on. And feel free to respond via those cards, or if you've got a mobile phone and you don't have a card, you can do it via text as well on the number on the screen. The first question is this, what role do you feel most comfortable with when you think of the Messiah? When you think of him as king, as prophet, as priest, as servant, as Emmanuel, what sits best for you? What do you sit well into and, and feel attracted to the most? Then out of those roles, what do you feel least comfortable with? Which of those ones do you think, oh, gee, I find that hard. to? It's, it's not so palatable. I struggle with seeing the Messiah in that role. How might your expectations of the Messiah influence your views on the role of the Messiah? What do you expect of this messianic figure? And what role could you explore more to understand the Messiah better? We've got some opportunity to respond. There's going to be some music played. And then after that music's played, we'll have an opportunity to sing our final song today. And we'll collect those um, response cards and the offering as well during that time. But now, for now, let's respond to the things that God's been saying to us and our understanding of who the Messiah is in our life. God bless you.